Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. This is ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. I'm not going to call it an emergency podcast, Rick, but this is a special podcast. We are sitting down with, I would argue, one of America's great actors. I wouldn't get, you wouldn't get any argument uh, from me on this. And, and this is a man that uh, I was a fan of uh, long before his current iterations. Uh, this is uh, someone I feel like I grew up with. Uh, and, and he's one of the biggest stars on television today. Mandy Patinkin, Saul Berenson, Inigo Montoya, uh, if we want to go back to what Rick's alluding to. You know to. I do. So Homeland, uh, just just, just uh, by, by way of a little bit of a, of a setup here, Homeland is nearing the end of its seventh se- season. The eighth season will be the end of the entire uh, series. This has been, you know, like, Rick, you know I don't have time to watch television, for God's sake, <laughs> right? Not. Yes. But I got to tell you, I... Uh, Homeland is 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 a is a show that I have found compelling from the start. Um, just a uh, just just a, a great. I, I put it up there with uh, with The Wire. Mm-hmm. I put it up there with Breaking Bad. And I think that one of the things that makes it so good and so compelling over these seasons is the character of Saul Berenson. Yeah, and and the the way that the show has evolved to reflect. Uh, the changing circumstances, a lot has happened since Homeland first appeared on the air. A lot has happened in the world. A lot has happened in politics. And the show is is as relevant, I would argue, more relevant than ever. And if you haven't watched the current season, uh, you, you'll get the gist when you do. But it, it draws very heavily on this on this time that we're in. And I agree with you that that character that that uh, Mandy Patinkin plays is, is so critical to understanding how the show, what the show has done, where it's going, and some, some of the essential truths that it gets at. The career intelligence operative who, through a crazy series of events, ends up the director of the CIA, fired as the director of the CIA, and uh, just, just, you know, an incredibly complicated character. I thought it was very interesting in this season, Rick, and I, I don't know if we'll have time to get to this, but this season, he, he starts out in jail, and he goes from being in jail to being the national security well, advisor. Keep spoilers at a minimum, but that's not... But I, I thought <laughs> that it goes the other way. You're supposed to go from being that, you know? Yeah, well, maybe that's the next season. We'll All right, right, before I give any any other spoilers, let's get let's get right to it. We are honored to be joined by Mandy Patinkin, one of America's greatest actors, and of course the star, one of the stars of Homeland, Saul Berenson. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you, Saul Berenson, season seven, Saul, Saul Berenson's been... Over the over the various seasons, kidnapped by the Pakistanis, uh, he's been targeted by the Russians in a honeypot scheme that was successful. Um, Saul has been uh, jailed by the American president. Uh, been taken hostage by American extremists. Uh, been seen his colleagues uh, killed in a, in, in a big terror attack at the CIA. Been named the CIA director. Been fired as the CIA director. Betrayed by his closest colleagues. Sounds how, like a Trump administration. How are you doing? <laughs> how are you holding up with all this? <laughs> I'm doing you great. You look all right. I mean, <laughs> I'm doing fine. Remember, I'm in a fictional show. Oh, okay. The real show we that, watch this as stuff. As opposed and to the real show hard. that you report on <laughs> yeah, on a daily basis, maybe you're just a touch confused. <laughs> yeah, but I, and then I'm watching this current season, and I haven't gotten all the way through it, so no, uh, no spoilers here. But so you have a, a, a president who is at war with the intelligence community. 
I'd never heard anything like that before. A president who some people think is mentally unstable, so much so that the only... Can, so, can you imagine that? The president's cabinet is talking about invoking the 25th Amendment? I mean, hmm. wh where do you come up with this stuff? I don't know. I guess these writers have just imaginations <laughs> that are off the charts, because you can never imagine anything even near to that in real life. So no, nothing like this. I guess it's just... Uh, it must like be a superhuman movie or something. It's uh, I don't understand it. <laughs> so, but bring me into the premise. I, I, I think I, I think I love it, the show, and I'm a big yeah. Saul Berenson fan. I mean, you get a lot of bad bad press sometimes in the show. I I, I I think Saul's got you know. I think he got it going. But but you you've done a lot of research. You you've spent time with the real intelligence operatives to 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 prepare for this role over hmm. the years. I know you're here to do an event with with Mike Hayden, who's been on this program as well several times. Mm -hmm. Uh, the former CIA director, uh, former head of the uh, of the National Security Agency. Uh, describe that relationship. Well, it's quite wonderful. Um, I've met with him several times in what we refer to as spy camp. The writers and producers and Claire and myself come every year to Washington, and uh, we meet in a room in Georgetown uh, for 10 to 12 hours a day, two to three hours per person. Mm -hmm. Uh, the who's who of the intelligence community comes through the door, Pulitzer Prize-winning writers, mm -hmm. journalists, etc. And we ask them questions. But they're no different than the questions that everybody who wakes up in the world asks themselves every morning. What are you most concerned about? What do mm -hmm. you think is the greatest concern? But I'm watching their behavior. I'm not that interested in the specifics that they're talking about mm -hmm. as much as their behavior. So if you're bringing up um, Kim Jong-un and... Uh, Putin and Russian interference in our elections, etc. And I'm and they're discussing the concerns of that, or is uh, the Kim Jong Un North Korea situation as concerning to them as the Cuban Missile Crisis, etc. And mm -hmm. asking questions like that. I'm watching their temperament to see: Are they worried? Are they concerned? Are they hot? How were they a year ago? And the last year, I was very. Uh, reassured by their calm and and their nature of not boiling no temperature rise they seemed easy at what so point did you talk to them last year i talked to them i think in january or february right wow. in in 17 right mm -hmm. after the inauguration so then i won't say who because i don't want to give away his name but someone Maybe at times even in a higher position than General Hayden, mm -hmm. who was also one of our advisors. Uh, he came to visit the set around August. No, 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 no. Around October of this year while we were filming in Richmond, Virginia. And I told him that story that I said, you know, you had given me some confidence about... Uh, how you were react, the nature of your behavior, how you weren't reacting in a in a heated fashion. Now, I had seen them once before when I just got back from Cambodia, mm -hmm. and um, and two of these gentlemen who I just don't want to, you know, it's mm -hmm. not my yeah. Yeah. place to say their name, but they sat down at the moment that uh, their buzzers went off, and it was the moment that Comey blew the whistle on Hillary, said that she was off the hook, but essentially drilled her a new one. July you know? Fourth weekend, yeah, uh, we remember well. Yeah. And I watched them get up, and they couldn't sit down, and there was steam coming out of their ears like a cartoon. Their mm -hmm. faces were red. They were heated because clearly they had had their contemporaries uh, lose their professions and their jobs over what I, without them spe specifying, mm -hmm. I would assume far less than, you know, people not knowing how to work cell phones or technology. And, and the double standard, I thought, drew them up the, off the roof. So 
I met this one gentleman later on, months later, and I said after the administration been been in, mm-hmm. in the ball game about eight months, and I said, I said, so I was calmed down by then by your nature because I'd seen you lose it. I saw yeah. that you had the ability to have a temperature rise, mm-hmm. and and uh, and this one guy said to me, I was wrong. He said, I've spent my life in that oval, in the Oval Office mm-hmm. every day for years and years, briefing the president. Mm-hmm. And I know the difference that takes place between a candidate and a president. And I was certain when I met with you those months ago that that change that that office makes on a human being would insert itself into this individual who had been elected. I was certain that it would have an effect on that man, Mm -hmm. and it hasn't. And now I am frightened. So, and that was the most potent moment I'd experienced uh, of all of the interviews, to see someone so seasoned in that office, in that room with that human being, mm-hmm. so assured of the power of that office and how it changes a human being who's in charge of humanity on a global level. And to admit that he hadn't seen that change in his nature terrified him. That's a, that, that's a powerful moment. It was. I, the, it sh- is. The, the show in, in the time that it's been on, a lot has happened in the world. A lot Can has I have happened. A sip in, of this please go for it. A lot has happened in in in, in geopolitics. A lot has happened in, in American politics. We have a new president in in this chaotic time that we're living in right now. The show, t- to my mind, this season has become so much more topical. Whether it's Russian interference, whether it's the war with intelligence agencies and the military inside the Oval Office, or whether it's a, a purveyor of conspiracy theories who who gets uh, a wide audience by by talking about uh, kind of crazy off the wall ideas how has that adjustment been for you as as part of the cast is it a conscious effort to say we need to reflect closer to what reality is right now this is not some fantasy world this actually hews pretty close to the world we're living in i'm not interested in the show when it becomes a polaroid or live news, sure. or real, what, what do they call these shows, real something? Reality, reality TV, yeah, yeah, reality that's a big thing. I'm not interested in that. Sure. We're a fictional system, a drama, and I feel drama at its best is when you create a poetic possibility or solution or mm-hmm. option for the world at large that those in charge aren't addressing or seeing or activating for the most vulnerable among mm-hmm. us. So I have pleaded with the writers on an, on an annual basis and often day to day that before our season is over, because it's like a novel, so it's 12 chapters every season, and before this season is over, to please give a poetic possibility of a way, a moral to the end of our story, a moral that would guide us or lead us to something more hopeful and optimistic. That is what I've asked for. And this year... I got my wish. You will see it in the final episode of episode 12 of season 7. I won't tell you where, but something is presented that made me go, thank God. Thank God for the time and hours we spend that some hopeful, optimistic, positive alternative was suggested in our little art form Mm -hmm. called TV. It goes all over the world, and maybe those who watch it, who are in power, who have votes, who can make changes, who can affect people's lives, will hear those thoughts and put them into action. So this year we did it, 
Next year in our final season, I know we're going to do it because we've been all talking about that one for a long time. And so that's, that's where sometimes your wishes can come true. So you know where season eight's going to go. You know where sure. the final's going to go. I can't tell you the, the nuts and bolts or, or the 24 dot, 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 click, click, mm -hmm. click, you know, on the edge of your seat part of it will be. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that the heart of it will be a, a very positive, hopeful possibility mm -hmm. that it might offer us all over the world to consider what if we went that way. And that doesn't mean a happy ending necessarily. I, I, I mean, like, be I, I don't know if, 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 given the state of the world and those who are so vulnerable in it, yeah. I don't know if happy yeah. endings right. exist. Right. But maybe best possible alternative. Mm -hmm. uh, and man, and I'm not referring to alternative news. <laughs> I'm referring <Good>. to alternative <laughs> life. Alternative facts. Sure. Alternative yeah. life. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Saul Barrington. I mean, Mandy Batinka. Brought to you by Indeed. Used by over 3 million businesses for hiring, where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screener questions, then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard. Learn more at Indeed.com slash hire. There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil, tweets, an insane amount of chatter. I'm Brad Milkey with ABC News, and I'm here to throw you a lifeline. It's a new podcast called Start Here, where our experts give you on-the-ground access to the biggest stories of the day. We're going to give you some context, some clarity among the chaos. 20 minutes every weekday. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and start here. And welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. And many of you think, and I know you're, you're very, very active uh, it, with refugee crises. And you, you were just on a trip to Uganda with the International Rescue yeah. Committee pretty recently. This is a, uh, actually a pretty big topic here in Washington. We've got a Supreme Court case coming up, uh, hearings just this week on the, on the president's travel ban. This has not been a welcoming administration when it comes to issues of, of refugees. What's the message that you're hoping to bring, that you hope policymakers draw away from what you've witnessed over the years? The word you just used, welcoming. I asked this administration to reverse its policies and become a, a more welcoming administration. Here in our country, in the UK, and many places in, in the EU, we put up walls, not welcome. I just came back from Uganda, which is really the global leader, maybe also with Germany, but no one as good as Uganda right now, in terms of moral, ethical behave, behavior mm -hmm. toward our fellow human beings. They put up welcome, not walls. The elders give their land for nothing, so that every refugee that comes in gets a piece of land. Uh, Lillian Dawa, a woman who watched her husband be tied to a tree, shot in the chest, her little son named... Um, Harmony, six years old, a uh, bomb went off and lost him. She gets placed in Bitty Bitty, a refugee settlement in this developing country that has 290,000 people. She was a, a, uh, a, uh, psych, um, a therapist, you know, I forget the exact name. Uh, psychoanalyst. Psychoanalyst of types uh, in South Sudan. So she does that work in women's centers for women of gender-based violence. She built four homes. She's pregnant with another child. Uh, she met someone else who also has fled back to the conflict. So there's that conflict in, in the way men behave. And, but um, but uh, she's, they're, they're just so full of inspiration and hope. These people who are victims didn't cause the conflict. So my major message to and hope and prayer is that those elected officials 
in our country, in every country in the world. If you're going to run for office, you must care about your constituents, and not just locally, but globally. And you must want to do something for them. So you have to up the diplomacy. Because if the individuals who are running the governments where the conflict are can't get it together, for whatever the reasons are, it's up to the global community to get it together and create pressures and systems that stop the conflict and the violence and the hatred and the inhumanity toward human beings in the first place. That's where we have to start. Secondly, those of us who are richer nations have to open our doors, stop the bans for God's sake. Open these, you know, before the last administration left, they brought in 85,000 uh, refugees. Uh, then Obama kicked it up to 110,000. This administration came down in, knocked it down to 50,000. It's already April, less than 10,000 have been admitted because of red tape complications, bans, etc. Chances are it won't get above 23,000 by the end of 2018. These vulnerable people won't come in. People say, why do you care about this? Why do I care about it? Because none of us would be standing here if our country hadn't welcomed our ancestors. Yeah. That's why we're here, every one of us in this country. And to forget that is to forget why you're breathing. And so we have to, uh, we have to change the diplomacy, remember why we're here, and remember our moral, ethical fabric and nature as human beings and encourage our leaders to do something about that. And if you say, well, I don't know what to do. I'm not a news guy on TV or I'm not an actor in a TV show. I'm not the richest guy on the planet. What do I do? You vote. Mm -hmm. You vote. And you find out who in your neighborhood is running for office, who has the moral and ethical fabric that you care about. And if you don't know that person, you find someone who does, and you go to their church or synagogue or mosque or school, and you go to that event, and you give a dollar, or you give your time, or you give your attention, and you change the fabric of the body of, 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 the body of people who change laws and affect human rights all over the world. And, you know, there's a lot of talk of America first and building walls and we're going to take care of our own problems and not the world's problems. I mean, to get on my soapbox, somebody who's also mm -hmm. spent time visiting refugee camps all over, all over the world, you, th there is a value. to If you want to be narrow American self-interest, mm -hmm. selfish, there is a value to America being seen as a force for good, for mm. doing good things around mm. the world. For, and I don't know if you, you saw the uh, documentary Last Days in Vietnam about the end of the Vietnam War, when all of, the, all of our you know, erstwhile allies in the South you know, ha had to flee the country. Mm. And, and, and the United States opened the doors. Mm. Mm. And you go and you, you talk to the, the, the Vietnamese and the, and who, who came in during that time. Mm. These are some of the most... These are Americans. This is what makes this America great. It is what makes America yeah. great. Albert Einstein, who started the International Rescue Committee, the thing on the wall, a life lived yeah. for others is a life worthwhile. And it's the most selfish thing you can do for yourself, yeah. is to give to someone else, make sure that their rights are taken care of. What's the alternative? To send them back to the conflict? And what's the old ball game? If you're not there when they, when, when they knock on your door, mm -hmm. my grandfather used to say in Yiddish, mm -hmm. the wheel is always turning. And if you don't think the wheel's going to be turning, and we're not going to be on the bottom someday, think again. And if you're not there for someone else, they're not going to be there yeah. for you. And that's how the world works. That's how, that's how, that's how it should work. So, uh, to bring it Back to Homeland. We were talking before the before we started uh, the cameras rolling here um, about intelligence operatives who who we've covered love this show. Hmm. I'm not saying they all like it, but it's a it's pretty popular among 
mm. among that group. Mm. And, and, and uh, a question you posed, I want to post to you, why? I mean, you've got deeply flawed human beings who are the, 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 you know, the characters in, in this drama. Mm. Who well, they're break human rules. beings. People make mistakes. They, but they break rules. They yeah. do bad things. They hurt people. They hurt people. Sometimes. But they also, as well. Yes, but they what? also help people, too. So wh- wh- why, why do you think this show is, is popular? Rick was saying he hates virtually every show that tries to depict journalists. Never mm. seems to quite hit the mark, although I think... I, 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 I think the post. I think the post was pretty. Well, there's, good. I mean, there's, there's yeah, this, but, good. but seeing yourself in there, it, 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 it seems to me, in talking to people that work in this world, that actually do the jobs, mm. they watch this show and they feel there's something essentially honest about the portrayal. Mm-hmm. So a newsman uh, said to me one day because it was right at the beginning of the show and people were loving it. And uh, I said, why? He said, I love it. I don't watch TV. The common things. I don't watch TV. But but I watch this and I love it. Oh, I said, why? Mm -hmm. He said, I think it's because of its ambiguity. And I thought that was a very interesting answer because almost everything in life has this side or that side of that fine line. The other thing I think over time that I felt was the family aspect of the show. Initially, it was the Brody family, the Kerry Brody family, the Saul Kerry family, the Saul CIA Mm -hmm. family, Saul Kerry CIA family, family of the United States, and the global family at large. Mm -hmm. And I think um, also members of the community like this piece, and particularly Carrie and Saul, mm-hmm. and maybe Saul represented, represents it a little more because of his moral, ethical nature, mm-hmm. because he is a pillar of moral and ethical thinking. That said, the same individual who said to me earlier yeah. that he was concerned about the lack of effect that that office had on the current president, mm-hmm. and it really frightens him mm-hmm. because he's lived in that office and knows the power of that. He said to me, I was brought up by my mom and dad to be a good, moral, ethical human being. Every decision I make has a moral, ethical standard to it. That's how I breathe and live. That's what I fed to my children in between the words. Mm-hmm. And I just got lost. I'm sorry. Um, give me one second here. Uh, but why they, why they like the show was how this, you know, these... these people that live in the real world that this is the fictionalized depiction of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I brought up this man because... Oh, because he also also said with the moral ethical standard of his nature and his existence from his parents, Mm -hmm. as a member of the intelligence community through his career, he's had to make some opposite decisions Mm -hmm. that can sometimes be life-taking that are painful to make, and how he balances... I, interesting that I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> and how he balances that question yeah. of what you have to do to protect your country, your children, mm-hmm. and also hold on to your moral ethical fabric is not a simple answer. Mm-hmm. It is a complex, complicated solution or decision or choice. And a very smart fellow, I can't mention anybody's names, <laughs> but a very smart guy, everybody's yeah. smarter than yeah. me, who said to me, I said, what would you say if somebody put the microphone in front of your face? You know, we get this opportunity mm. now to talk to yeah. people. If yeah. you have platforms for various reasons, what would you say to people? He'd say, I'd say, don't oversimplify. Don't try to oversimplify anything. It's a complicated system, all of it. 
and respect and embrace the complexity of every single question mm-hmm. and culture and nature. That's it. That's the, of the known mm-hmm. and the unknown, mm-hmm. of what's in between the lines. Arthur Miller, in a beautiful documentary his daughter did, talk about write, talked about writing plays to try to address the moment of the time he was living in. And the effort and the nature of the play, mm-hmm. the system of a play, was for him what was in between the words he wrote. The condition that he created that, it, that made an opportunity for the audience to hear and listen maybe most of all to themselves when they can't hear through the noise. And so I think it's so interesting because in my whole life, when I'd work with Steve Sondheim, I'd look at the notes on his piano or a torn piece of napkin, and he'd write words that were rhymes, trying to get down to the simplest mm-hmm. rhyme. And we always try to simplify, simplify, so make it simple, keep it simple, stupid, kiss it, kiss it, keep mm-hmm. it simple, stupid. And, and it's come to a point because of being inundated with a kind of simplistic rhetoric by our administ- this current administration, we've come to learn it isn't so simple. Don't take that as an excuse and a way out. It's incredibly complicated. And respect it. And get in there and work. And change what you're not comfortable with. And if it's a moral, ethical nature that you're not comfortable with about a global decision process, in my case, particularly for the most vulnerable among us, refugees all over the world who are locked in limbo, do something about it. And you can by voting. And and, and it also, we're getting a wrap, but it also means trying to understand the perspective of those you disagree with. Because these are 100%. incredibly complicated. So before and, you... And give them, give them respect and listen to them. Yeah. I also feel, I always feel that Homeland, to me, at its best, embraces what I consider a cancer on a global basis, which is the lost art of listening. Right. What you just said. So before you go, and we got to let you go, I, I, I do have one final question. Mm. You, 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 a lot of people don't know this, mm. but you were in this movie years ago called Princess Bride. Do you remember this? Yes, I think I do. And, and I, you, and, and, I may have seen it once or twice. And, and, and you played a character named Inigo Montoya. Yes. And it's kind of a beloved character. I mean, it's, it's one of these characters that is one of the great characters in, in American film, I would say. So, question. What three things do Inoiga Montoya and Saul Berenson have in common? Three things? Yeah, give me three. You can give me four if you want, but just at least three. They both sound like me. (laughs) (laughs) They both look a little like me. Yeah, it's true, yeah. And then I'm going to politicize it and give you my favorite line that Mm -hmm. William Goldman wrote, Mm -hmm. that he wrote for Inigo Montoya, and no one quotes it. Mm -hmm. And I begged Senator Cruz to think about it. He quotes every (laughs) line, but leaves this one out. And he says, you know... I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I do not know what to do with the rest of my life. (laughs) Let's consider William Goldman's words and not be revengeful. And what would we do without revenge? What would we do if we didn't spend all that money on landing strips in countries to bomb countries? What would we do with that money? Who could we feed and educate? What would we do? All right, right, we, we gotta end it right there, that's perfect. Saul Berenson, Mandy, thank you very much for... uh, Five fingers and both hands. Thank you. I got him, baby. I got him. Thank you. All right. That is all for this special edition of Powerhouse Politics. We'll see you again soon.